Amen. So if you're joining with us for the first time, we have been in a series over the last few weeks looking together at the priorities of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. And what we've said is that it's really easy for churches, for religious people, to get on about the wrong kinds of things. I wonder if you've ever met church people or religious people that are up in arms about the wrong kind of things. Anybody in this room ever seen that happen, ever know that to happen? Well, it happens sometimes. And so as we enter into a new season together as a church, we want to take a fresh look at the priorities of Jesus. And so we're asking that question, what is it that stood at the very heart of the mission of Jesus? What was he about in the world anyway? And we, we believe that by studying what Jesus is about, we'll have a better direction in what we should be about as we move into a new season together as a church. And so over the course of the last few weeks, we've seen a variety of things that Jesus is about. We saw that Jesus is about making disciples a few weeks ago, and then we saw that Jesus is about restoring the broken, and then we saw that Jesus is about eating with sinners, and then we saw that Jesus is about unsettling the religious, look out, and then we saw last week that Jesus is what? He's about preaching and teaching all about the good news of the kingdom. Well, I think of all the things that we looked at, today has got to be the most foreign, maybe we should say the most exotic, certainly the most otherworldly, the strangest of them all. Today we're going to see that Jesus was about exorcisms. I was reading a uh, scholarly commentary this week, and the guy said the ministry of Jesus could almost be summed up as a ministry of exorcisms. Uh, Jesus was about driving out the forces of darkness. He was about overturning the devil and the demons and all of the forces of darkness that seek our destruction. And this morning we come in to touch with what is perhaps the most vivid, certainly the longest, the most arresting depiction of an exorcism in the entire Bible. And it's right here. Uh, this morning, as you see on your uh, title, uh, we, we come in touch, we, we encounter the scariest dude in the Bible. Uh, this is a guy, he's even frightening for the kind of people that Jesus encountered because Jesus encountered a lot of guys who were possessed by a demon, but this guy was literally possessed by thousands of demons, which what kind of past did that guy have to have to have that kind of situation occur in his life? But as we look at this very extreme case of the demonic, this extreme case of evil, we're going to get a window into the kind of evil that we encounter as a church. And we're going to see three things this morning about evil, about the demonic. Number one, we're going to see something about the reality of evil. Second, the complexity of evil. And then thirdly, we're going to see something about the defeat of evil. And so let's look first, number one, about the reality of evil, the reality of the demonic. Look at what it says in chapter 5 of Mark's gospel, verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, now stop there. So let's set this little story in its context. The night before Jesus had suggested to his disciples that they cross over from one side to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so the disciples get in the boat just at dark, which I already think is a little bit creepy, getting in a boat and trying to cross 
the sea in the middle of the night. And so they get in this boat, and then as they are in their midnight crossing, this great storm arises, and the disciples, these experienced fishermen, are absolutely terrified. I mean, they're freaked out at the storm. They think they're going to sink, they're all going to die, and they wake up Jesus. They say, why are you sleeping? And then Jesus stands up, and the text says that he rebuked the wind and the waves, and immediately there was calm. And then all of a sudden for these disciples, the only thing more terrifying than the storm outside of the boat was the storm inside of the boat, namely this man who had power over the seas. And it says at the end of that story that they were gratefully afraid. Well, now in the middle of the night, they finally touch shore on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples now are completely on edge. They've been freaked out all night. They're just the jitters. And they get to the edge, and where does Jesus dock them? It's in the middle of Gentile territory at a cemetery. And look what happens next. And Jesus, when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and with chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. It reminds me of the Incredible Hulk back when I was a kid. Remember David Banner? He always said, you know, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry because then he would be overcome with the superhuman strength and he could do anything. And here's this man who's living in the tombs and he's full of this extra superhuman strength. He's breaking chains apart. And it says that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Now, just think about these poor disciples. They cross the sea, you know, they're finally, they're, they're wanting to get out of the boat. They, they, they look around, it's dark. I just imagine it's a moonlit night and there's fog among the tombs. And then this crazy dude, you know, this, starts screaming and running out and terrifying them and looking all crazy and weird and all that and cutting himself, breaking chains. And they're absolutely freaked out. And here we get a window into the realm of the spiritual, the dark and spiritual realities that surround us, according to the Bible, all the time. You see, the way the Bible depicts, the way the Bible imagines ultimate reality is that ultimate reality doesn't just consist of the material. It doesn't just consist of the physical, stuff you can touch and taste and feel, but there's actually a transcendent, a supernatural realm all around us. And there's a realm that is fighting for good, and then there's a realm that is out for destruction. And you can see in this man, this very extreme example, this evil force has overcome this man, and what is it doing? Well, number one, it's isolated the man. The man has withdrawn from society, and he's out in the tombs. It's made him alone. And then he's engaging in this self-destructive behavior. He's cutting himself and bruising himself. He's a danger to himself and to his community, and so they try to chain him. But he's completely out of control. And this is what the Bible says is happening in reality, that there are dark, demonic, spiritual forces all around us who are at times inhabiting people, at times inhabiting structures, ideologies, religious belief systems, and these demonic dark forces 
are co-opting these things and using them as tools to destroy and to inflict and to enslave people's lives. Now, if you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, maybe you wandered in off the streets from the Wisteria Festival, you decided it was starting to get a little cold out there, it's going to be a little warmer in here, and you're like, man, what are these people on about? This stuff sounds weird. And I'll be the first to acknowledge, this sounds weird. Because we are modern people. And in modernity, we inhabit a world where we believe that everything that happens in the world has a natural cause, and therefore it has a scientific explanation. And so when you look at different events that are happening in the world, let's take physical events in the world, you've got a volcano, there's a natural event, well, there's a scientific explanation for that event. There's not some demon behind there, you know, causing the, the lava to spit out of the thing. But of course, this way of conceiving reality is actually very modern, it's very post-scientific revolution. For the majority of human history, people understood the world to be enchanted. A couple weeks ago, I was at uh, Disneyland, the happiest, most crowded place on earth. <laughs> and I went on the Haunted Mansion. And you remember how when you, uh, you're kind of exiting that, you're on the very tail end of that ride, and you're in your little cart, and you look in the mirror, and it's you and your buddy next to you, in my case, my wife, and then there's a ghost in between us. They send you home with a ghost. There's a spirit there right behind you, and all of a sudden you see it in the mirror. Well, in the ancient worldview, they understood the world to be enchanted and that among us and beside us and behind us and under us were these spiritual forces. And in polytheistic cultures, they believed these to be the gods that were sort of at war with each other. And then after the spread of Christianity, there came a new nuance to that, and the gods were understood to be demons and angels and spiritual powers behind the world. But after the scientific revelation, uh, these uh, angelic spiritual beings evaporated, and we came to understood that the world is a natural place with natural causes and therefore scientific explanations. Now, of course, there's been lots of advances in our world because of this incredible, you know, kind of way of conceiving reality, of studying all of the natural causes and discerning scientific explanations. And yet, where it goes wrong is when this worldview attempts to explain all of reality in purely naturalistic terms. And it's especially difficult when we look around at our world and we encounter real, absolute evil. You know, back before World War II, there was a movement in Germany among German theologians uh, of basically a very liberal version of Christianity. And so people studied the life of Jesus and the Bible, and they said, look, Christianity is good because it gives us a moral and ethical system. It teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we've got to, you know, modernize the Bible. We have to demythologize the Bible. Uh, the Bible, you know, it's got too much of this miraculous, the supernatural stuff. And they started to demythologize the Bible and take out all of the supernatural so that what you had left was the kernel of kind of an ethical system. It was liberal Christianity, and it was rampant among German theologians. 
But during World War II, a new theological movement began to emerge. It's what was called the neo-Orthodox or the post-liberal movement. And what happened was, is there were these great German theologians who had been schooled by all of these, you know, higher German critical theologians that basically taught them that the universe exists, uh, is, is made up of matter and nothing more, and everything is, has a natural cause and therefore a scientific explanation. And so to everything in the Bible that you see, it sounds miraculous. It actually has natural causes. And so we need to explain it sort of scientifically. We can't have these supernatural explanations anymore. But suddenly, in the face of the radical evil that the Germans were experiencing in World War II, those explanations grew very, very thin. And you have theologians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in a great sermon of his made this statement. He, he started to look around at the radical evil that was happening, these ideologies that were, had his own nation, Germany, in its grip that was destructive, that was causing people to be enslaved to racist ideology and move them out to destroy their fellow neighbor, their brother, sister. He saw the war, the rampant violence that was happening around him, and he said this. He said, how can one close one's eyes to the fact that the demons have taken over the world, that here the powers of darkness have made an awful conspiracy? Last year, my wife and my daughters were in a play that was depicting the Jewish Holocaust, and it was actually the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And there's this scene in the play where Dietrich Bonhoeffer is in a conversation with his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law starts to reveal all of the stuff that's happening in these concentration camps for the first time to Dietrich. And he's hearing this, and he cries out, he says, he basically cries out and he says, this is the devil's work. The devil is at work. And his brother-in-law said, no, Dietrich, this is the work of man. And of course, both were true statements. The radical evil that we see in the world cannot be fully explained simply in human terms. There's something beyond us, there's something before us, behind us, that's destructive, that's powerful, that's at work in this world, and we have to be aware of it. And so in this story, we see a man who's overcome by these demons. And of course, in other parts of Scripture, it's not just that a man can be inhabited by demons, but these dark spiritual forces can actually inhabit or come behind or be underneath political systems and ideologies. And where you see destruction, where you see people dehumanized, where you see people taken advantage of and enslaved and taken over by powers greater than themselves that are taking them down into the dirt, there you see the work of the powers of darkness. And so, number one, we see in our text something of the reality of evil. But secondly, I want you to see something in our text about the complexity of evil. Look back at your Bibles. Look what it says. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, I want you to see uh, up here, this is an image of the Sea of Galilee. It's a lovely place. There's a uh, aerial view. And if you look up in the northwest corner, that's the region of Galilee where Jesus spent the bulk of his time in his public ministry. Around the region of, um, 
Bethsaida and uh, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, Galilee there, it was a Jewish region. And there were Jewish synagogues, there was preaching happening uh, from the Jewish scriptures, and there was belief about the Jewish Messiah coming, and this is where the Jews lived. And so Jesus spent the opening part of his ministry around that northwest corner where he began to proclaim among his fellow Jewish people about the good news of the kingdom of God. But now something new is happening. Now Jesus is crossing over the sea and Jesus is moving into a new area on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, and there is a region called the Decapolis. And this is the region of uh, 10 Gentile cities. By the way, there's some people from our church, the Tripucos, the uh, Verbergs, and uh, uh, Larry and Susan James. They're in Israel. They're actually on the Sea of Galilee right there. I just thought it would be cool for you guys to see them on the Sea of Galilee. Hopefully they'll come home and be back with us again. (laughs) But Jesus goes over to a Gentile territory. And I point this out to make this simple observation. Here, the good news of the kingdom is moving from one region where it has started to get saturated, and now it's breaking into new territory into a brand new area where as yet the good news of the kingdom has not yet traveled. And Jesus has come into this region to proclaim, to announce, to enact the healing, the justice bringing, the peaceable, the freedom enabling rule of God among this new group of people. Here the kingdom of God is moving into new territory. And what happens? Well, as the kingdom of God moves into new territory, there's a counter-offensive from the enemy of God, from the kingdom of darkness. And you see this demoniac coming up against Jesus. And look at what it says down in verse 6. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And then crying out with a loud voice, look at what he says. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Some commentators point out that the the translation here, that, that what it's getting at is this idea of this demon saying, look, Jesus, what are you doing here? This is my territory. This is where I've reigned. This is where I have sway. And now you're coming into my territory. And, and he says, what are you doing And then he begs Jesus. He says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. A legion was a battalion in the Roman Empire of about five or 6,000 soldiers. That's just a lot of demons, right? We got a lot of demons going on in this dude. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, there was this great herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs and let us enter them, which is really weird, right? Like, what's the deal with the pigs? I mean, what did those poor pigs ever do? They got to be inhabited by these demons, you know? The pigs at least tell us this. This was an unclean man who was inhabited by unclean spirits, living among the dead, which was about as much of an unclean place for a Jew to go, living in the realm of pig farmers, 
which were the uncleanest animals the Jews could imagine in the first century. This is the unclean of the unclean, and Jesus now is breaking in. The demons say, let us go into the pigs. Jesus says, fine, go. For some reason, it looks as if Jesus has pity on these demons. He sends them into the pigs, and then the pigs get all crazy and wild, and the demons cause their own destruction. And they run down a steep bank into the sea, and they're drowned into the sea. Verse 14, it says, The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And listen to what it says in verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I just want you to notice something. As the kingdom of God moves into new territory, opposition arises. And opposition arises first on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee. There's this great storm. And commentators point out that the language that's used for Jesus to rebuke the storm is the same language that's used in the Gospels when Jesus is rebuking demons. And it may be that Mark is implying to us that there's something maybe demonic, something demonic, something evil about this storm. Something more is going on there. And then after the demons, uh, they go into the, the pigs, the demons then cause the destruction of 2,000 pigs, which, by the way, that's a whole lot of money in the first century. That's like their bank account. Probably would have been the, the herd that would have fed the Roman legions in the area. And they go rushing into the sea, and all of a sudden, that economic disaster, it creates this great fear and anxiety among the town people, and they beg Jesus to depart. But who ultimately was the source of the people's fear and wanting them to depart? It was this crazy work of the demons and the pigs. And so you have these three ways in which the work of God as it moves forward into this new region is being opposed. First is in this physical, kind of natural-looking disaster, the storm. The second is in this demoniac that comes out. And the third is from the people who fear economic disaster and the kind of change that Jesus might bring. Isn't it interesting that the devil uses fear of change to oppose the work of God? Let's just note that. Can we notice that? But what I want you to see is that the work of our enemy is complex. It's varied. It's many. One point in the, uh, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, nor give space for a foothold of the devil. It's interesting that the devil doesn't only work through Ouija boards and seances and uh, witchcraft and all the obvious stuff, but the devil can actually work through anger and unforgiveness and gossip and bitterness. The devil can work through our fear of change and our anxiety of what this might mean for my finances to get involved, as these guys are experiencing. There's all kinds of tools the devil has in his toolbox to oppose the work of God among us. And so wherever the work of God is advancing, wherever the kingdom of God is advancing, opposition will arise, and the opposition will be varied, and it will be many. And so let's just note this. SMCC, 
we are moving into a new season together as a church, amen? And that's good news, and our hopes, our dreams are that the, the, the season that we're moving into is gonna be a season of kingdom fruitfulness. We wanna see prodigals come home. We wanna see older brothers be brought to repentance and learn the true gospel of grace. We wanna see captives set free, people who are held captive to their addictions, to their bondages, released. We wanna see that happen in our own lives and the people here in this group sitting in the sanctuary, and we want to see this among our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers in Sierra Madre and Monrovia and Altadena and Arcadia and Pasadena and the surrounding, and Temple City, not forgetting you people, Ron. <laughs> but let's note this. As the work of God moves forward, as the kingdom of God advances, we have to be ready and to expect opposition. Now you might say, okay, what do you want me to do with that? Okay, so there's this spiritual realm, which by the way, I was hesitant to come up and even preach on this subject because talking about this stuff goes way beyond my pay grade. I don't know enough about the the spiritual realm. There's mystery here. But we know this, that there are forces of darkness at work that are destroying people's lives all the time. And you don't have to be a Christian to see that. There are forces that are stronger and bigger and more powerful than us that are enslaving and that are destructive. And as the kingdom of God moves forward, those forces will come and oppose us. So what do we do with that? Well, I grew up in Southern California, and so therefore I grew up as a child of the 80s, being terrified of two things. One was nuclear holocaust, so that was the Cold War, right? And the other, growing up in Southern California, was what? It was the big one. San Andreas Fault was gonna shift, the big one was gonna happen, the earth was gonna open up, and California was gonna fall into the ocean. And I was so terrified of that when I was a child that I decided to now move, and now we live in Sierra Madre, right over the San Andreas Fault. <laughs> Praise God, yes. (laughs) But here's the thing about earthquakes, right? When an earthquake happens, it occurs to you, you're not in charge. Some of you are control freaks and you like to manage your, if, just raise your hand. Just, we can pray for you, Lord, I see you out in the audience, yes. But you like to be in charge and control of everything and and some of you are so good at it that sometimes you're convinced that you are. <laughs> but you know, when an earthquake happens, it's an immediate reminder that there are powers and forces above you and bigger than you and way outside of your control. And in some sense, these texts, I think, come to us from Mark to remind us that there are powers and forces at work outside of us that are bigger than us and that are outside of our control. But here's the good news of this text. There is a power that is more powerful than the powers that are more powerful than you. And that power is Jesus. And so in this text, Jesus opposes the powers of darkness. And that should teach us as we move forward together in the work of God, the only way we can move forward is on our knees in deep dependence upon Jesus and his power. 
because it is only the power of Jesus that's going to be more powerful than those things that threaten to undo and destroy your life and mine and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and all around us. And so if we're going to move forward, we need to move forward on our knees together in dependence. I was talking to Greg Ash this last week. He was about ready to fall asleep, so I had to say his name. I'm just kidding. He wasn't falling asleep yet. But I was asking him, like, like what, what's your ministry? Like, what's your thing that you do? He says, it's the ministry of prayer, intercession. I just thought, what a neglected gift in the church. And so many of you have that gift. And if that's you, I want to invite you to do all that you can to engage in this battle we fight on your knees. We need you. So many of us don't have the gift of faith. And we struggle and we wonder what's happening. Our prayers are hitting the ceiling and they come back down and we're like, what's that? You know, is it even working? But some of you, you've got confidence and you've got faith in the power of God and we need you. You are so vital. Probably the most central, the most important, the most, it's the heartbeat of this church. And so if we're going to move forward, we need to move forward in prayer. So the evil we face is real, it's complex. But thirdly, we want to see that the evil we face is defeated. And look, look notice about the defeat of evil. Look, look at the text. I, I, I like this back in verse 9. Jesus says, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. It's the first time in the Gospels where somebody speaks like this to Jesus and identifies themselves as being a demoniac and they claim to be inhabited by literally thousands of demons. I mean, that is scary. Legion tells us about the magnitude of the power that stood before the face of Jesus. But like the storm the night before, Jesus speaks and rebukes them, and they obey his word immediately. Because Jesus is more powerful than the powers of darkness. In a a few moments, we're going to close our service together by singing this song that before Jesus, the darkness trembles. And here before Jesus, the darkness trembles. And he casts out the demon. They're sent into the pigs. They go to their destruction. But then I want you to see in verse 18 something. Actually, before we get there, I had one other thing I wanted to point out to you. It's interesting, you know, in the first century, who was it that the Jews were hoping the Messiah would come and help them fight and overthrow? Rome. And why? Well, because you would too. I mean, we are, we're Americans, people. We're children of the revolution. We don't want oppressive powers over us. And neither did the Jews. And they had a way more oppressive power than we did with England. No, they had Rome, this violent, oppressive government that littered their streets with crosses to show them what would happen to anybody who tried to oppose the power. And they were hoping that Messiah would come and would overthrow the powers of darkness. What's interesting is in this text, scholars will point this out, there's language that gives us echoes of Roman military. And so the demons are described as legion. A legion in the first century was the word used to describe a Roman battalion. And then the, the, 
The pigs are in a herd, the text says. And actually, the word that's translated herd is a unique word used to describe a group of Roman soldiers. And then Jesus issues a command, and it's like a martial command that the pigs or that the demons immediately obey. And I think what Mark is doing is he's showing us in this story and he's showing the Jews who are reading the story, and he's showing all of us who read the story, that our enemy is deeper and bigger and different than we think. For the Jews, he was saying, it's not Rome. And for you, it, it, it's not what you think it is. You know, sometimes we demonize people. Many of you, if you're on the far right, you find yourselves demonizing people on the far left. If you're on the far left, you find yourself demonizing people on the far right. And we, we find ourselves demonizing people all the time. But I think what this text is teaching us is to demonize the demons. Discern your rightful enemy. There are powers of darkness that are enslaving our friends and loved ones around us. There are ideologies that people are, are they've bought into and that's why they're acting like a racist jerk. That's why they're so mean-spirited. I was reading the story this week of that gal who gouged out her eyeballs. Did you guys read this story of a young lady who was high on meth and self-destructive behavior, isolating behavior, darkness at work. She, showed, she shared her story a couple weeks ago in Cosmopolitan magazine and she talks about how she entered into this kind of by making a couple foolish decisions, but before she knew it, all of a sudden, a power bigger than herself had been enslaving her. You see, oftentimes what we see around us is powers that are bigger than our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members. They're powers that are bigger than them and they're enslaved to it. And Jesus came to fight the powers of darkness and sin that enslave humanity. He came to set us free so that like this man, we might once again be clothed and sitting and in our right mind. But notice how Jesus goes about defeating the darkness. Verse 18. I noted this this week. I'd never seen this in this text before. It says, and as he was getting into the boat... Isn't this interesting? Jesus just got out of the boat. He took a, a, a ship ride over an eight-mile journey across the Sea of Galilee, and on a good day, that might take, you know, a couple hours or something like that, but crossing the Sea of Galilee is like driving into L.A. You just never know how long it's going to take you. It depends on the traffic. And crossing the Sea of Galilee, it depends on the storms. So Jesus crosses over in the night he arrives on the shore, he sets this man free, and then he gets back into the boat and he crosses back over the sea. Why did he go through all the trouble of crossing the sea? It was out of his passionate love for this one man. Why did he step into the graveyard and endure all the shrieks of this demoniac? Why did he risk his own cleanliness by plunging himself into the realm of the unclean? It was out of his passionate love to save this one man. And friends, this is just a glimpse. It's just a picture of the love of God that traversed not just the Sea of Galilee, 
But in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, it traversed heaven and earth to enter into humanity, into all of our uncleanness, into the realm of the dead. He enters into our world and enters into death in our world. And he doesn't just endure the shrieks of of some demoniac around him. Jesus hangs on the cross in passionate love and he himself cries out shrieking in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it is the passionate, self-sacrificing, self-giving love of God that defeats all of the darkness in the world. And friends, it is not hate that will ever drive out hate. It's only self-sacrificing, self-giving love of God that we find in Jesus that ultimately breaks the darkness and gives us hope of a new day. And it is this love that will break the darkness in your life and in your heart. And it's available to you. Some of you might be here this morning and you might find yourself enslaved to darkness. And I don't know what your darkness might be. For some of you, you are enslaved to your own guilt and shame because of past failures, maybe because of the way people have spoken to you all your life growing up, and you're, you're enshrouded in this darkness, and it's controlling you, and you're enslaved to it, and it's the way you view yourself. The love of God is stronger than all of that. It can break those shackles. Some of you are enslaved to your own addictive patterns and behavior. You've given yourself over to stuff, and it's At first, it was just your own stupidity and your folly, but now it's taken control over your own life. I was reading this week about opioid addictions and and how incredibly rampant they are in our world. And no doubt in this congregation, there's some of that. And some of you have become enslaved to addictive patterns in your own life. The love of Jesus can break those patterns, but you need to come to him like this man and you need to fall down before him and, and you need to... Submit yourself to Jesus and receive his love into your life. You need a power that is bigger than all of those powers that enslave you and afflict you and are destroying you. And it's here this morning. I want to invite you, as we enter into a space for response, I'm going to invite our band to come up here. The band is going to lead us in this song called Tremble. And I want to invite you, as you're kind of learning this song, to use the words of this song, kind of the theme of this song, the space that we give you in this song, to cry out to Jesus for his own mercy and grace and power in your own life to break the shackles and to break the darkness. And then maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, man, the darkness that I am in is deep and I need prayer. I'm going to invite you after our time of the service, I'm going to send everyone out with a benediction. And while others are going out, I want to invite you to come forward. And we're going to be available up here for prayer. Maybe Greg, Alicia, Ed, some others can join me. And we can spend some time praying for people who need prayer this morning. And so if that's you and you feel like you need a power bigger than yourselves, why don't after we send everyone out, you can come up and we can pray for you and pray that chains would be broken and that the power of Jesus could break out in your own life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that when we remain in the graveyard, when we remain in the darkness, the demons, those powers outside of us still control us. 
But when we come into the light, you're able to break those things. And I pray, oh God, that you would bring your people out of darkness and into light, that we might experience the power that you bring to free us and heal us. We ask this in your great and in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.